Fantastic. Well, it's great to be now in these few weeks leading up to launching Freedom Church. Jen and I and the team have been so excited in that build-up as we've been gathering with the team and meeting online, now getting ready to start meeting on a Sunday morning. Um, Again, we're going to start meeting um, online initially for those first few weeks, but we're hoping as soon as uh, things begin to ease that we'll be able to gather in person on North Hull. And we've got such faith um, that as we bring this message of the kingdom, this message that we're we're looking at over this series... Um, we will see people saved and added to all that God has for them. And so it's great to share some of these individual stories that uh, we've been see- we'll see. We've just seen Sarah's uh, over the next few weeks uh, in the build-up to our launch on the 7th of February. Do please be praying for us, particularly over these few weeks. Uh, be praying for our team. Be praying for us as we're feeling all the emotions of leaving Jubilee and the excitement of going, pray that we'll see fruit from the prayers that we've been praying over the last year, and make sure you tune in on the 31st of January when we'll gather online um, and pray corporately for Freedom Church and for North Hull. I really believe that's going to be a significant time for us as a family, both those of us who are being sent and those of us doing the sending. I really believe God is going to do a work amongst us on that day, so do tune in for that. Um, As I say, we are full of faith for what God is going to do through that work. So this morning, uh, we're continuing our series on kingdom living, uh, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Last week, Dan kicked us off looking at uh, the call that we have to live as part of this new kingdom, this kingdom that Jesus brings, his rule, his reign that is absolutely opposed to the kingdoms of the world. You know, we're not wanting just to add kingdom values or Jesus to our lives as, in, as if we're going to find room to fit him in somewhere, but we want to radically change the orientation of our life so that Jesus is at the center of everything we do. That's what happens when you become a Christian. When you take, make that decision to follow Jesus, you are entering a new kingdom. You are coming under a new king who is not only your savior, but your Lord. Who, who has a say in how you live every area of your life. When we follow Jesus, we become radically different people. And so it's not just a matter of being a Christian, meaning... Instead of having that lie-in on the Sunday morning that all my friends have, I get up and I tune in to Jubilee, or I pray every now and again, or I gather once a week with a group midweek. Now, this whole life shifts and changes. And so today, as we continue in this series, I'm going to be opening, opening up the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount, and what I really believe is the heart and center of what Jesus is preaching in this passage. So if you have your Bibles, it will come up on the screen as well. Um, But I'm going to be reading from uh, Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 20. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs 
is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Lord God, I pray as we open this word this morning, we will be receptive to the comforts and the challenges, the blessings and the demands that are here for us to see. Father, we want to feel them both keenly and be moved by them. We want to be such people that glorify our Father by our works and who have received blessing. So God, I pray for myself as I hold these things, and for us as we hear them again today, would you speak to us? Would you fill us with your Spirit to meet us as the Word comes to us? Would you give us receptive hearts that receive and act on what we hear? Amen. Amen. So, The story so far, we saw it a little bit last week. Uh, We've seen so far in Matthew, Matthew's been telling the story of Jesus. Jesus has been going from town to town across the synagogues in the region of Galilee. He's been preaching, we're told, the good news of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And so he's preaching this way and he's been gathering followers, disciples who have made the decision, who've recognized the authority of what he's saying and have decided to follow him, to line their lives up with what he is preaching and to live according to his teaching and his rule. They recognize, is this the Messiah? 
Is this the one who's been promised? And so they follow him. And alongside this as well, he's gathering crowds. People who have heard stories. He's been healing the sick. He's been working signs and wonders. And so they gather to him. Who is this guy who's preaching these things and doing these things? And so where we come to here, Jesus is now being followed by disciples and has crowds around him. And he, we're told he goes up to the mountain, seeing the crowds, he goes up the mountain, he sits down and he preaches to his disciples. So Jesus here is, is preaching, Sermon on the Mount is a sermon directed to followers of Jesus. But there are people who are not yet followers, people who are just trying to figure this guy out, people who have jumped on the hype train, who are just looking in and watching, who is this guy? What is he saying to his followers? So the whole sermon is for followers of Jesus, but with an eye to those looking in. And it contains lots of challenging things. If you glance through this thing, you're going to be hit a number of times by things that are hard to hear and hard to do. <laughs> Jesus teaches his followers to be ruthless with sin. Figuratively saying, you know, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. Better to enter heaven with, without your hand than to not enter it at all. He's, he's asking his disciples to make painful and difficult decisions in following him. He's asking them to make costly decisions. He gives them a high standard to live. He says, unless your righteousness is greater than that of the scribes and the Pharisees, these religious leaders of your day, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he says later, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so, when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, there is no excusing ourselves from these things. Jesus really does expect us to live this way. He really does expect us to live these radical lives that are centered around him. To take radical action against sin. To live with radical generosity and radical uh, love and forgiveness. And yet, we're told that Jesus was preaching the good news of the kingdom. Now, how is this kingdom good news if it's just more rules and, and regulations, more uh, obstacles that I've got to jump over, more hurdles I've got to jump over, more obstacles I've got to get around? If that's what the, news, the good news of the kingdom is, then it's not good news. How could that be good news? There are some things in what Jesus is saying here and that what we're going to see over the coming months as we're in this series about kingdom living that might even leave us wondering, am I even a Christian? Do I, am I even following Jesus if this is what he's asking of me? My life isn't lined up with that. But before Jesus comes to talking about those things, he grounds them and sets the basis for them in a number of ways. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to uh, look at uh, three things that we see in the passage that I've just read about life in the kingdom that Jesus opens with and that I believe are crucial to our understanding everything else that follows in the Sermon on the Mount. Every command and demand and expectation comes from the grounding of what we see here. So, life in the kingdom 
begins with blessing, is founded on fulfillment, and shows our sonship. Here are the crowds gathered around Jesus. The disciples listening in. What's he going to say? What's this message of the kingdom he's going to bring? Here it comes. Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessing. 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 The most amazing thing about the Sermon on the Mount is that it starts with blessing for the poor, for the weak, for the people who haven't got enough, people who know that they aren't where they should be. I'm poor in spirit. I lack. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not capable enough. But poor in spirit, people who are aware of their need. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. Those who, who, who feel loss, who recognize that things aren't the way they should be. We have all been at that point during this season of COVID. All of us have reached that point of aching. This is not as it should be. The kingdom comes to bless such as these. Blessed are those, are the meek. They shall inherit the earth, the weak, the humble, the lowly. They're going to be the ones who are given the kingdom. They're going to be the ones who are given inheritance. Those who hunger and thirst, those who lack, will be satisfied. Those who long for righteousness will be filled. Now, these are not things for us to aspire to. These are not qualities that Jesus says, here's the hoop, jump through it. Be meek, be weak, aspire to mourning. No. But we see the kingdom of God, we see in the character of God right the way through Scripture that he zooms in on people such as these, people who feel their lack, people who feel mourning, who feel weak and meek and humble. We're told in Chronicles that the eye of the Lord searches to and fro to seek those he would strengthen. That's God's heart. His heart is for those who lack. His heart is for those who, who need and who recognize their need. And he goes on, blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are those who, when others revile you, <laughs> rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Jesus is going to unpack those things, being mercy and purity and being people of peace and responding to persecution. He's going to unpack those things later in the sermon. But right now he's saying, you know, you're, the blessing is for you. And again, these things aren't things to aspire to. But, but those who, who have received that blessing, who have seen the kingdom, who have uh, been welcomed in, we'll see as we go through they become peacemakers. They become merciful. They become willing to suffer for the sake of the righteousness that God gives them. And so again, we are, we are surprised by the profound blessing. These blessings, this list of blessings, the Beatitudes, we might call them, are less to do with what the followers of Jesus do and more to do with what they are. It's not about doing at this point. Jesus is saying, you are blessed. More than you are mournful, you are blessed. 
more than you are lacking, you are blessed. And I'll tell you why. Because the kingdom of heaven is for you. It is for you. And what is the grounds of this blessing? We see it is founded on fulfillment. This, this radical reversal that we see. Jesus says, happy are those who are mournful. Crazy reversal going on there. What is the grounds of that? What is the grounds of the transformation that makes that sort of person a merciful person, a pure-hearted person? Jesus says, the grounding is, I have come to fulfill the law. That word fulfill is to complete, to perfect, to enact all of, to bring to its completion. That's what Jesus has come to do. Every demand and promise of the law, of the prophets, has been met and fulfilled in Jesus. Every law that says, you must do this, you must be like this, you must be pure before God, you must uh, meet this standard of living, Jesus has met. Jesus has fulfilled every promise of Scripture. The promise that says, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Jeremiah 31, 33. Jesus comes to fulfill that. He says, I've not come to do away with the law as though suddenly everything that's come before me is of no value. No, you can only understand me in light of what's come before me. He said, but I have come to bring them to completion. Everywhere I fall short of the law, of the, of the demands that Scripture puts on me, Jesus has fulfilled. Everywhere I fall short, Jesus has fulfilled. Every promise that I ache to see met, Jesus is the meeting of that promise. He, he fulfills that promise. And so when Jesus comes to say, unless your righteousness exceeds, is greater than that of the religious leaders, of the Pharisees and the scribes, he says that on the basis of what he has come to do. He's not saying it, right, okay, these guys are good, but you need to be better. He's saying, I have come to fulfill the law, therefore your righteousness must be better. It must be. You're not under the law anymore, we're told as we read through the New Testament, we're no longer under the law. But what Jesus is clearly saying here is that we're live, called to live above the law, as in to a higher standard of. He says, you're going to exceed what the Pharisees are capable of, because for the Pharisees, what they're doing is they're meeting requirements. They've set rules, but I'm concerned about what is going on underneath that. And so what is going on in you, my followers, Jesus is saying, is fundamentally different. Your righteousness is totally different because it is, it is of the heart. Again and again through the Sermon on the Mount, um, as Jesus has said, you know, you will, your, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. He goes on to say how it's going to. He says again and again, you've heard it said, and he quotes the Old Testament, that you must do this way. I say to you, and then he gets to the heart of it, you must do exceedingly more. Because Jesus isn't about what you do. He's about what you 
are at the very heart of you. And the fact of the matter is, when I sin, if, I'm, if I withhold generosity, or if I'm angry with my brother, it's not, I'm not a sinner because I sin, I sin because I'm a sinner. If you commit adultery, you're not an adulterer because you've committed adultery. You've committed adultery because you're an adulterer. Jesus is saying, I'm, it's the heart I'm after. And so it's an altogether different righteousness that I'm going to bring about in fulfilling the law. Our righteousness, therefore, is totally different because it is on the basis of what Jesus has done. It's on the basis of what Jesus has done. He has written it on our hearts, that promise in Jeremiah. He has written the law on our hearts so that now, out of the overflow of who we have been made to be, we live righteously. We live as kingdom citizens. And part of what this completed work of Jesus has accomplished, of Jesus accomplishes, is our adoption as children of God. And so our living, as we come to all that the Sermon on the Mount demands of us, all of it says about uh, marriage and anger and relationships and giving and loving and forgiveness, all of those things are to demonstrate, to show our sonship. We're told in, in John's Gospel, right at the start of John's Gospel, in John 1 verse 12, we're told, all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. One of the things that really struck me as we were preparing this series was just how many times Jesus refers to God over the course of the Sermon on the Mount, as our Father. I went through and I counted them. 17 times, Jesus refers to God as our Father. And so again and again, as he's asking us to do certain things, to live certain ways, he is appealing to our current status to, of, 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 as sons to determine how we live. He's saying... Don't you, God is your father. Live, therefore, as children. Live as children of God. We're told you will be perfect. You must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Children of God live a certain way. They value what he values. They love the way he loves. They bring peace the way he brings peace. He, they forgive. They have mercy the way he has mercy. They are uh, they, they love and forgive and do and enact all the things that God is. Why? Because they're children and they've inherited from their father his traits. Now, we've got to make sure that we get the ordering right on this because these works show our sonship. They don't accomplish it. We cannot make ourselves children by pretending that we are. No, but when we, when we receive him, that passage in John, when we receive him, when we believe in his name, we become children of God. And Jesus says, and this is how children live. He says, you know, you are salt of the earth. If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? You know, salt isn't salt because it's salty. It's salty because it's salt. Or 
To put it another way, a city on a hill can't be hidden. Now, I think it's hard enough to hide a a city at the best of times, but a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus is saying, that's what you are. If you're a city on a hill, you will be a beacon. You will be displayed. And Jesus is saying, if you are children of God, you will live this way. You're not trying to earn sonship. You have been given sonship by receiving me, says Jesus, and this is how sons live. In the same way as a city can't be hidden, you know, it's not meant to be hidden, that's not the nature of it, it, can't, it just can't be done. In the same way, we followers of Jesus are unable to hide who we are and what we are. And this is why Jesus can say later in a warning against false teachers, you will know them by their fruit. You'll recognize them as false teachers because they don't line up with what I'm teaching. They're not living as, as God lives, as your father lives, but you. You are children and you display your sonship through this. Jesus says, you let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father. Who's getting the glory? Not me from my good works. It's God. Why? Because it's not me who's doing the good works. It is God's work in me that produces good works. We see it in Ephesians 2, don't we? You know, the, uh, Paul, as he's writing to the Ephesians, he says, you know, this is not a matter of result of works, so that no, none of you may boast, because we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared. Whose good works are they? God's, which God has prepared that we should walk in them. And all of this is from that place of blessing and having seen Jesus fulfill all the requirements and promises of the law on your behalf. I wonder if the band could just come back up and join me. As we go through this series, we are going to see some hard things. Jesus is going to ask some big things from us. And, and we're told, actually the crowd, after hearing this sermon, were astonished. Because Jesus taught with one who had authority, and not like their scribes, their teachers. We're going to be astonished as we come through the Sermon on the Mount. the basis, the basis of all that we see, of all that we're asked to do in this sermon is what God has done in blessing us, in fulfilling his promises to us, in making us sons. And we are called to display that. So I just wonder if you just respond now. Just wherever you are, front room, bedroom, phone, TV, would you just stretch out your hands? We just pray now and receive. It may be that for a while now you've 
you feel like you've dabbled in Christianity. And as we go through this Sermon on the Mount, you'll, you'll recognize things in yourself where you actually have not been living as a citizen of heaven. I've just been trying to fit Jesus in around my life, which looks just like as much as, you know, just like anybody else's. I just want to tell you, you cannot dabble in sonship. You either are or you aren't. Maybe, maybe just if there's a time now for you to recognize your sonship. You know, you're, you're called to be a chip off the old block. You know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But people look at you and they see Jesus. They see God the Father through you, the way you live. So they see your mercy, your peace. They recognize that this God is a God of mercy, a God of peace. Maybe people have said that negatively of you in the past. They've said, oh, you know, he's, a, he's just like his dad. She's just like her mom. No, God is saying, you're called to be like me. You're called to be like me, and you will be as my child. You will. Maybe there is particular areas of your life where this is true. Areas that maybe have been exasperated over the course of this season of anger, of lust, of whatever else. They've been exposed and exasperated by this trying time. Maybe you find it hard to believe that you really are when you look at those things. Am I really a child of God? You know, it's a work of the Holy Spirit that we're told in Scripture that comes and, and says to us and enables us to cry, Abba, Father. Maybe some of us have been so used to, to trying to do things in our own strength, in our own power, that by the time we come to read these commands and what Jesus demands of us in Scripture, we're just so ready to receive them as another burden, another th- hoop to jump through. And you feel like, I've got to do this. I've got to meet this standard. And I want to say to you, yes, you do. But I also want to say, as Paul says to the Galatians, don't you know, don't you know that the life you have is a gift of grace received by faith? And just as you were born by faith, So too, you live by faith. You live by faith. You're enabled to live these things because of the grace of God. It's not I that works, says Paul, but the grace of God that works within me. Maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but like the crowds you've been looking in and hearing these words of Jesus, you're beginning to feel, I want in on this. I want that blessing. I feel that lack. I want to see those promises fulfilled in my life. I want to be a child of God. Jesus offers himself to you. Come in. Come into blessing. Come into sonship. So just now as the band begins to uh, to play, I, I pray for you. Father, would you come? Would you send your spirit, the spirit that cries out 
a spirit of adoption, spirit of sonship that guarantees our inheritance. Help us to see who we are. Help us to recognize our identity as sons and daughters of the living God. Help us to live out that identity in all the ways that we're going to see over the coming weeks. Father, I pray for those who are feeling the weaknesses of their own strength. Show them your blessing. Show them that the kingdom of heaven is for such as us. We weak, we mourning, we who hunger.